You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Top Woman. Business Unusual. Welcome to the Standard Bank Top Woman podcast. We've been tracking gender empowerment for nearly two decades, awarding and celebrating top woman leaders, entrepreneurs, and organizations in Africa. It's now time to share their secrets of success with you. Maybe you're wanting to reimagine your career, get your seat at the boardroom, or become the boss of your own startup. Maybe you want some work-life balance. We're also going to introduce you the next wave of young women, innovators in tech, the disruptors of the status quo in Africa, who are driving growth. We track their journey from startups as we share the entrepreneurial stories of their success. We'll also share how to start a side hustle, be an influencer of note, or get the inside track on the latest technologies and growth industries that investors are getting excited about. Or maybe you just want a little pick-me-up from the grind. I'm excited to introduce to you today my two guests, Foneka Monjani, who is the Chief Executive for Personal and Business Banking South Africa at Standard Bank Group. Foneka, who's had a formidable career, a multi-award-winning businesswoman, who was an auditor, became a banker, who successfully transitioned the home loan department within Standard Bank South Africa and is currently heading up one of the most significant divisions within the biggest bank in Africa. She sees her role as guiding the next generation of leaders in banking throughout South Africa. Now, let me introduce Komotsu Malawi, fondly known amongst his peers as KK. He says he's getting used to it now an engaging and enthusiastic young engineer who joined the bank as head of national improvement management and is now in a formidable position as chief information officer for Standard Bank South Africa and really driving the digitization of the bank. Welcome to Africa Day and the Top Woman podcast. Thank you for having us, Rob. Thank you for having us, Ralph. Happy Africa Day to you too. When when I was 21 to 24, I felt invincible. And I listened with great interest to your youth. And I, and I often feel that this is the reason that we have to give youth the chance. Because... It's at that moment when you're keen, your your eyes are wide open. Do you do you get that? I think so. I think uh, the key thing, however, my brother, is to keep that right, because the scary thing about us, and even more about our kids, is that whatever job or career you're doing, a machine is going to do it in ten years. 
So you want to keep that sense of wonder about the world and that sense of openness throughout your life because you must be willing to do a couple of careers and not settle into and not worry so much whether you're in the right career right now, you know, um, and just know that you, you'll have... The one thing about life is that everything changes, right? And the pace of change has picked up incredibly. So uh, I do think that yes is about like keeping that sparkle in our kids, um, which is really scary, Ralph, if you think about the high incidence of depression that they're going through now, which mm. means they feel overwhelmed. Uh, mm. But it's, I think maybe the challenge is for us to role mm. model that to them as well, just to be like, there's no ending. All the A is going in and out, you know. Every day gives a possibility of a very brand new day, a different world. Mm. I mean, I think for me, the analogy I use is that when I finished studying, I thought that was it. And in fact, what I realized is I hardly read before then, mm. only textbooks. And, and I was silly, similar to Komotsu, sort of pitched up for the exams more than anything. But I think after that, then I started reading. And then I realized that learning had actually only just started. It hadn't finished. So it's, and I I think that it's almost being that vulnerable because you're right. I think the kids are, I think that they wonder, can they cope? And how do they cope? I think, you know, the, the thing around learning, what it meant for me, particularly through reading, I only learned about chartered accountant when I was 11 because I was reading the Sunday Times classified section, you know, um, and then I read about something called chartered accounting where people earn 10,000 rand a month. Remember, my grands were domestic workers. They were earning 100 rand a month. And my grandfather was what was then called a delivery boy uh, who was earning 150 rand a month. So this was like, it just blew my mind, right? Uh, and also just, um, uh, you know, the, the idea that there's another world beyond the world that I live in also just comes through reading. I mean, if I were to be honest, Ralph, I think that because of sort of the single-minded nature of me wanting to really understanding that, you know, my, my, my formal education was such a big deal that I couldn't afford, it was like once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I did think when I was 22 that I was quite boring, even to myself. Now, all 22-year-olds are very harsh on themselves, right? Um, mm. And that, that voice of friendliness hasn't quite developed. I think that you get that in your 40s. But uh, I do think that I had to sort of like start reading wider, you know, reading literature and reading about science and history and philosophy and just just so that I can get... For some of us who are professionally trained, who don't have a classical education, um, you know, I, I do get this. There's something that, that doesn't quite click. I, I see it like, you know, if I, you know, when you see it, Ralph, you must see some Shabalala, see, you know, he's like a properly classically trained person, you know, and there's an unflappable quality about him, and there's a roundness about him, there's a renaissance thing about him. In his, in the, his outlook of the world. So there is something that says, you know, how do you, there's no end to, to human expression. And therefore at any point in time, there's always a possibility of making yourself wildly interesting, firstly to yourself, 
and maybe to other people. Now, I think I've read a, a really good quote that said, don't try and find yourself, create yourself. Or uncover yourself. Or uncover yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big believer that you're born in the, if we are all, if you do believe a hypothesis that of all great religions, that you are either born in the, you are made in the image of God or you, there is a God in you. That sort of suggests that you just have to chip away at all things that are not you. And when you do, you're going to find something quite extraordinary. So true. So It's so funny, though, also, Komatsu, that you went to boarding school, because I also did. But I was probably a little bit younger, and I ran away. But is it is it... Foneka says that you weren't as studious as her. Is that a guy thing, do you think? Is that that we're a little bit complacent and that... Generally, girls at school are a little bit more studious. Yeah, so the, the boarding school I went to was a very, very interesting boarding school. It was one of those government boarding schools, like nothing like the kind of boarding schools that uh, we see today, uh, where basically, you know, you are on your own. You know, we had a boarding school, but they only served a meal once a day. And then the Yo. rest, you had to make your own plan. In fact, people used to joke, you know, using street language, they called it the stone school, which is where you send naughty children so that they can go and be taught lessons of life. So I went to that type of boarding school. In a lot of ways, I think we believed that we were actually learning to be streetwise and that what we were going to do in future was going to require this way of being street smart, which we will complement with some education. And I guess a lot of that thinking uh, I carried around for a long time, where I strongly believe that actually this education is just a supplementation, but there will be big things we will do that require those that will be street smart. And I think hence, I had a, what I call a minimum approach to my education. You know, if, if I just passed, that would be okay. <laughs> uh, because, you know, all other things uh, will, will happen at a later stage. So I was quite big in sport and I won lots of sports awards. I mm. even uh, won awards that I, I don't uh, share with my children very freely. Uh, you know, that <laughs> relate to social activities. <laughs> But I think I was, going, I was just going with the flow for a, for a long time. And I think that maybe explains also how easily later in life I could do a 360 career change uh, because I was kind of living for the moment. And I think maybe a lot changed when I met a girl who then became my uh-huh. wife, today, who, uh-huh. who brought in a dimension of taking life seriously at the later <laughs> stage in my life. <laughs> I was waiting to say that <laughs> Komuto's life began when she met when he met uh, Monica. I, really, we have Monica to thank for this. That is very true. It's amazing. I feel the same way about my wife. To be perfectly honest with you, but but Feneka, when did you realize? Because you laugh so much, when did you realize that having fun at work? was central to success. <laughs> I 
But that's why you laugh, yeah, so you don't cry. <laughs> you know what? I think even from my days at PwC, I work with such interesting people, you know, like just amazing, incredible human beings. And you can't, I was never the big believer that, you know, you know, people say things like, I'm here to work and not make friends, which I thought was such a strange thing because yeah. you spend so much time with the people that are there. So. I've met I've met incredible people um, both at Standard Bank and and at, at PwC. In fact, for me, one of the big choices of a work environment is I want to work in environments firstly that are diverse um, uh, in terms of race and gender, but also just diverse in terms of how people think. You know, different ways of expressing themselves. And I also like working environments where people are really smart. You know, because I think. It's only then that you know you you become part of the uh, you you become part of a very different uh, force you know and you get the benefit of everyone of everyone there. But I think um, you know on on Friday, if I may share this, I'm sure my teammates will 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 uh, will mind this. But since they're not here, Ralph, we <laughs> had um, we had a check-in on at our expo on Friday, and the question was the check-in question was. Um, please recognize um, who would you like to recognize for cabinet-like behavior in the team. So when you say cabinet-like, somebody who who's a true team player. You know, uh, we were at it for one hour. People just doing these extraordinarily heartfelt and expressive, emotional appreciation of one another. And I promise you, by the time with, after that hour, the energy was buzzing, you know. So I think for me, a big part of that is just I think what makes what makes um, the 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 work is the people that you live with and spend the time with, and of course, this extraordinary opportunity that you sometimes have to really make a difference in the lives of others. And and I mean, if I listen, you've done some fantastic things um, when you started at the bank, but also recently, and, and really transforming. But, but that, that doesn't happen by yourself. That happens by taking people on a journey with you. I mean, do you have principles of leadership that you sort of, that you share with your team or are you happy to share? Uh, yes, I think that... Um... I think maybe some of these things are some of the things are, are sort of so so subliminal that maybe we don't take advantage, we don't realize it. I mean, we grew up knowing Guti. This concept of Ubuntu wasn't a thing; it was like a, an assumption that you are because of other people and this vast interconnectedness of people, you know. And so Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Ubuntu was a, a way in which we we really grew up, and. Um, I guess the second big thing for me is that uh, I once came across this extraordinary book when I was I was given to it by a mentor that I had when I joined the Senate Bank, a guy by the name of Bob Tucker, who at some stage was the CEO of, of the Banking Association. He gave me a book called Leadership Pipeline, and that made all the difference to me. And it's sort of one of the big things I remember reading there and it resonating with me is, is just... 
the job of leaders is to create leaders. Because, you know, uh, all the things that I get held accountable for, I don't do every day. You know, the thing around client experience, around generating revenue, sales, I don't do that myself. It is the teams that do that. So my job is actually to make sure that the, my core job, the core part of my environment, of my job is caring and stretching and, um, and letting people uh, not mind. You know, I think that the, the, the stretching goes together. You know, um, I worked with a gentleman at PwC, uh, sorry, at Standard Bank by the name of Peter Schlebusch. And he used to do this thing called being Schlebusch. You know, you know what that is? Being asked to, to do something quite impossible and you'd be happy about it. You know, oh, wow. uh, and so that's for me, I, I'm a very big believer in that. It's like, like deeply, deeply caring leadership, but at the same time, deeply, deeply stretching. Um, what my talent line manager could really calls it, care and grow. I think that's the main job of leaders is to, is to create leaders who do, who actually ultimately build an environment where people really, really, really care and, and, and really grow. So I, I, I lead with my heart there. And uh, I trust my heart to, to recover if it's broken or disappointed because you can't care intellectually. You can't say I care because I'm bullet point number one, two, three, and four. If you care, you have to genuinely, the organ you use to care is your heart and it requires that wholeheartedness. So for me, that's, those are the things that are, are, are important to me is caring and stretching and therefore leading with an open heart. And it's so ironic that one of the most important attributes of leaders at the moment, and especially with what we're going through, is empathy. And women have it in bundles. I think men have it too. It's just deeply, deeply covered. No, I, I do think that... <laughs> no, I, I don't mean it badly. Okay, okay, what I mean is that I think that... Uh, I'm very close to all the challenges of being a woman and I can talk about it, but for, from where I sit, it feels to me and it seems to me that males are heavily policed. Maleness is heavily policed. And anything that, that sounds like soft or, or feminine or vulnerable in any way is like brutally um, sort of like dealt with. And I think that hopefully these young boys that are being raised by more conscious fathers now and more conscious mothers hopefully will have that. But when you see a man that has that, you know, it's extraordinary. Um, I've seen that. You know, so I would say definitely Peter Schlebusch is one of those people. You know, he would, he would hug you every time he'd see you. And one year he wrote us, um, all of us, boys included, uh, please be May you be my work Valentine cards. Remember, Komujo? Yes, I remember. Yeah, so he leads with his heart. And that that makes him quite extraordinary. So I do think that it's there. um, And it just needs more cultivation. And and I think that we as a society need to stop policing maleness or masculinity so tough. So fiercely, you know. It doesn't help when you win lots of rewards, does it? <laughs> no, you guys. It needs to be reframed. You need to. This. I've, I've been saying that we need a male revolution. I think that's probably what it is because you know, 
I worry that, you know, girls are, are going, you know, I've got two daughters. Um, so the way that they are, the way they are, I want them to find partners one day and not settle, you know, on emotionally crippled boys. And I'm not referring to you, Komojo, and, and the work that Monica has had to do on you. But come on, you've got a boy and a girl, so you, you see the difference, right? I, I've just got three boys, so... Yes, absolutely. I mean, my daughter being the firstborn, uh, she's 15 now, has actually had a huge influence in how, in iterations of my leadership and how I think about things. Uh, you know, having grow, grown up in a, in a world where Actually, you know, being a boy, you know, had certain labels to it. You know, the experience of being a, a father and now to a teenage daughter, it's quite an amazing experience in how you learn to actually be a listener. And, you know, I can admit it that one of the biggest, biggest challenges I've always had growing up and in the, in the workspace is just listening well. And I must say that my daughter has helped me a lot in just harnessing that skill of just sitting back and listening and listening carefully before taking action. So I can definitely attest. And whereas with my son, I mean, I give an example. When I come back from work, I'll say to my daughter, how was your day? Like we have to sit down for 10 minutes for that discussion. Whereas with my son, when I say, how was your day? He just says, Good, full stop. Get him to express himself a lot more. What do you mean by good? Actually, <laughs> fantastic. So, I mean, if I if I look back at some of the amazing things you've done, I, I don't know how true this is, but I believe that that you took the the home loans division from a billion rand loss to a hundred million profit. And I, and, and, and I see that you've digitally, as a team, digitally transformed Standard Bank completely. And I, and I think the narrative has almost changed in some ways from around things like GDP and profitability to other indicators. And it certainly seems to be the case with what you're achieving with your digital transformation about being customer centric. How important is that shift? Yeah, so I think that that shift is is not a choice anymore. I think that it's really about um, the minimum that standards that our customers have have actually. Um, and I think that for, for us, as you would know, because we started off with the work of doing the core banking in partnership with SAP, the the last mile. Of, think of it as putting the foundations, you know, um, of a skyscraper. We we really had the opportunity to fast track the, you know, the last mile digitization in the last 18 months or so. And you know, it would be really insightful to hear Komojo's take on it because I think we worked uh, very closely um, together and uh, broader as a team to be able to sort of take work that other people had, you know, we perceive it done over a period of seven to, to eight years. And we sort of had only like one or one year to, to, to do a bulk of it. Uh, Komojo, let me, let me bring in you here, my brother. 
Yeah, no, absolutely correct. Uh, the way I put it, Funaga, is that the organization had made a major, major investment, which actually ran into some early trouble from an execution perspective, especially linking that execution to real client experience transformation. And the more the program got into trouble from a timing perspective, it started to actually just become a technology transformation with no real client experience transformation. And we've kind of had to one, you know, within a period of a year to 18 months, you know, bring it back to where it needs to be. But on top of it, actually start doing the work of building the client experience transformation that the shareholders were expecting as a major return given the significant investment which was made. And I think not only has that investment become a real differentiator for me versus what peers are going through, it actually became a critical foundation for what we are going to become in the future as we transition from being a financial services organization uh, to actually becoming a services organization that uh, is actually a platform ecosystem play. And I think that hard tech end work has really been quite a massive, massive uh, investment for us that will differentiate us significantly in the future. So, I mean, if I look at the response of, of Standbank generally over this time, I felt, I felt it was unbelievable you were first to market with a lot of your communication i mean i look at what you'd achieved last year i think you won over a thousand awards as a as a group and i know that one of your programs your e-commerce program um won an award for the africa tech week innovation through technology and i get so many business people saying that you guys nailed it over this period what what's the what's the opportunities for the future do you see so um you know ralph i think for me the 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 last uh eight weeks has given me a deep deep sense of personal purpose um and i think just a deep appreciation the fact that i work for an organization that is when we say africa is our home we drive our growth we really mean it and this this deep deep commitment to to bring prosperity to the continent. So, when that whole conversation around going really being clear that the only way in which we can get out of this period with in in any way um, and survive and thrive afterwards is really about making sure that we support entrepreneurs. It wasn't a long complicated conversation. It was a of course we have to do it, um, and therefore. The, the going first was only simply because there is an absolute clarity of purpose about what we are about. And there are some moments in history that just gives you an ability to express that. So that's really the first one. The second one, I'm going to express mine in numbers. Um, if you look at the entire um, people who are retiring right now this year and are therefore looking very closely or who are retired at their own portfolio will see quite a severe amount of devastation from a portfolio investment perspective. Um, And it's true of South Africa, it's true of local banks, it's true of global banks. But then go and look at big tech companies. Um, 
the if you look at Amazon, the share price today is two thousand four hundred thirty-seven dollars. Um, at its lowest amount, uh, sometime in mid March, it went down to one thousand seven hundred eighty-five dollars. So it's thirty-six percent up in these times. And for me, there's the clue there. I think um, for me, the the future is in fact about. I think a lot of what we've done as banks and any entity, but as banks in particular, our core role has been that one of facilitating, right, of taking at its purest form the resources of the republic and and and, um, and 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 making them available to its most worthy causes, and that continues. But the future is about building communities. It's about building places where communities can gather and create value for themselves, which is why platform businesses are doing so well. I think banks are in a perfect position to do that because not only because um, technology is there and data is there, but more than anything, we have we still have a lot of trust of our communities. And we've got, and therefore the combination of those three things means that we can truly start to move to and you know, we can start being deeply on our traditional role of allocation of the resources of the Republic to its most worthy causes, the core facilitation and transmission, but now start creating communities and platforms where people come not to us to create value, but they create value with each other on our platforms. That's what I think the future is. I, I read a, an article and it talked around not necessarily the tech companies being the future investors in entrepreneurship and solutions, but in fact, the banking sector. Um, and and part of that was also what you mentioned, because of the trust and security, and security comes from connectivity as well, that you guys have created through your different platforms. How, how real yeah. is that? I mean, I see you also investing in tech companies at the moment. It's pretty undercover, but... I know that you're doing a lot of investment and partnerships with like WeChat and... Yeah. I think there used to be, there was, there used to be a sense that there's some sort of adversarial threatening relationship in particular between banks and fintechs. And I think it's come up and matured to realize that it's a marriage and it's a partnership. Um, so if I were to double click on a very important uh, decision, a discussion, if a client wants to, right now, most of our clients can't go to the bank. They actually have to do full banking online. Therefore, if you want to, for example, um, uh, get a new, uh, start a new relationship with us, the digital authenticator in there, um, or if you open an app, uh, we've just enhanced the security there. We did that with a partnership with a company uh, that I spoke about earlier in, in, in um, based in Cape Town, uh, One Identity which basically build the digital security protocols. So these things are actually will work together. And I think it is that openness that will actually make sure that we move faster. These things, you know, there's a lot more, the scarcity mindset is there, but I believe in, in a sense that actually we can all come together and collaborate and, and serve our customers' view. I don't know, the trust thing is real. Um, in this time, my brother, we are seeing not a lot of people are taking loans, but boy, we are seeing huge amount of deposits come through our way, you know? And so when things are tough, particularly now, people remember what quality is. 
I don't know about you, but for me, it matters to deal with someone who has skin in the actual game, not some sort of server, but actual skin in the actual game for me, and has history and has things to lose. That's what matters, you know. I think at the end of the day, I think the 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 things that can sometimes be seen as a liability for large banks in terms of you know speed of movement, etc. With the right partnership, they can be sorted out. But our history, heritage, and the significant investments we've made throughout the continent means that we can be seen as people with real skin in the game. Wow. So it's so funny you mentioned one identity because Lance Fanneroff, who's who runs that, he he actually was an award winner of ours probably about seven or eight years ago, Businessman of the Year, and he won the Ernst and Young Business of the Year internationally. And he was our head judge for many of our awards, and um, he spoke at Africa Tech Week. So we, we, we um, it's it's so amazing that two winners from the the program sort of came together and did business. But and I think that's about community, right? That's about introductions, trust, and helping one another, partnering up to to do things. I mean, Komotsu, do you- imagine if we do that routinely to all our clients. You know, that exactly that. A, a space where people can come together and and find common interests and grow together. And that's what the future of banking is. Well, it's so funny because Putty, who was on our cover for Top Woman, um, well, at the time she wasn't NASPAIR's CEO, she became the CEO. At the same time, Aerobotics had won three awards with us last year. Um, and now the, the NASPAIRs have just invested $100 million into aerobotics. So there's, I think there's lots of, there's, we have lots of case studies of where bringing people together creates collaboration and partnerships. And I think it is, I, I see that the role is so important now of bringing corporates, entrepreneurs, academia, and government together. And I probably see it more important now while we go through this transition is is that teamwork and it's not just within the organization i think it's outside as well i think i see pe- people and bringing teams of people together i think there's a saying and it says something that that the biggest intelligence in an organization sits outside it yeah no i, I think ralph uh, we we are at the center of the South African economy. In fact, we, we are at the center of many economies in the African continent. You know, if I, I quote uh, our group CE, uh, uh, Sim Chawalala, he likes to say that the fortunes of our organization are directly linked to the fortunes of the continent. And it's so true. Because actually, what we're really trying to do is to connect people with opportunities. Now, if I circle back to to your observation around partnership is that we've always been playing this role of connecting people with opportunities, but it, 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 it was not able to scale beyond the obvious opportunities. And our partnerships with a lot of the fintechs and technology companies allows us to move at much more faster speeds, allows us to have greater agility and actually expands our reach to places where economic opportunities were never possible to reach. And that's why, you know, in the past, you'll hear a lot of talk that the fintechs are going to eat the lunch of the banks. 
But actually, the truth is that we are having lunch together with the fintechs more frequently and other partners around how you can we invite, actually scale these opportunities. You, you can invite me to those lunches anytime you want. Um, I, thanks for that. I, I think that it's, I think there's a lot of people ha- are, and rightly so, this is the biggest situation that's ever come to the world. Not many people know how to navigate it. But I also get this sense from leadership that we also sit on one of the biggest opportunities to collaborate and do things differently. And and I really see now more than ever, the quality of leadership in an organization is so much more important. And I, and I just wonder how do we, and you say that your role is to teach that leadership because for me, that's the things, how do we get more leaders? Yeah. So, you know, in this time where the last couple of weeks of really dealing with COVID-19, understanding that there's more to come, our experience has been that the investments that we've made in the last three years in particular of building local leadership has helped us. And this is a small example, but it's a useful one. So in terms of deciding which points of representations that were open at Standard Bank, for example, we didn't make those decisions in Joburg. We actually understood that data can tell you some, something, but you actually have to be there and look at those people in the eye in those communities and make those decisions. So the local leaders actually made that decision. And, and therefore, I, I'm a big fan of distributed leadership. I think that it's about leaders everywhere at every stage. And ultimately, because leadership in particular, while sometimes it's, a, it's, it's seen as a job description, but it's a role that anyone can assume. And, and we have to make sure that we cultivate that. I mean, in terms of, of, of this time, I'm actually massively excited about this time. I think that it is definitely comes with really scary things, um, particularly in the short, sort of in the next 18 months before the vaccine comes. Uh, and one might say there will be flare-ups, you know, uh, even after that of different other such threats, so it could be biological threats. But um, I do think that there's some powerful things that we've really learned. I think for me, it looked... You know, I I saw the world, particularly in the last three years, starting to really contract. You know, if you look at big Mm. themes around where the U.S. was going, Europe was going, the U.K. was going. Mm. But guess what? Uh, Now all of us are connecting with one another. I think technology has worn. And it's worn in a sense that connecting people, that people actually, I can't see my neighbor who's three doors down the line. But I'm busy talking to you and you're in Cape Town. And last week I was talking to my colleague who's in Amsterdam. And therefore, my, my sense around this is that this is actually going to accelerate the possibility of what the digital age and connection age was about. Um, I think people who've never shopped online have had, to be, have had to at least try it and see what it's like, right? Um, and therefore, I do think that digital marketplaces are going to, at least, and, and the idea of... Um, I hope what will come with it is is truly technology with an abundance abundance mindset where people uh, are not continuing to to spend so much of their times away from their children and away from their families where they can in better integration between work and life. Uh, nobody needs to. There's enough. We can create enough abandonment abandonment in the world without people working five, six, seven, eight days. You know, seven days weeks. You know. Um, that there's a lot of hoarding of resources that exists that can actually be, be used um, 
for greater goods, for, for, for example. So uh, I, I'm quite ho- hopeful about that. I'm, I'm hopeful that it's sort of like it's a firm foot forward. And um, no matter what local governments can say right now, I think it's over. I think it's it's the world is now connected. It's a full, it's, it's a full, it was a world of full connection. And I think it's humanity has a chance to choose what what this is about. It's kind of exciting, but uh, trepidation <laughs> depends which way you look at it. Um, well, there will be millions of jobs lost in the short term, right? So that's scary. Um, and and some of the jobs will never come back. And so there will be new jobs that are created. So there is some, there is this in-between phase that is going to be quite terrifying. But I think that if we are, if we are conscious, we can also create a, a world that we really want to live in. My last real question is, is quite a big question, and, and that's, of course, what, what do you see the future of digitization being? I mean, if I look at a lot of leaders now, um, the CIO position has become so important, and I see the partnership between you and Foneca. Is, is, that, is it a, a matter of all leaders are going to have to start using information better, or is it that that role of the CIO is going to become even more important? And Foneca, I mean, I'm intrigued. We we're told for many years now, probably ten years, that South Africa and Africa is the land of opportunity. How do you see digitization and the future of Africa? Yeah, no, uh, Ralph. For me. The role of the CIO has already changed significantly, not only in the financial services industry, but in any other industry. Really, the role is no longer about looking after technology alone. You know, it's a given that that must happen, but the role is around how do you actually leverage technology to deliver great client experience and to also extract value for shareholders. That's what it's become. And I think if you were asking me this question before COVID-19, I will have probably given you a slightly different answer, but my answer is slightly different because, you know, the short-term health and economic impact of COVID-19 to the world is going to be devastating. However, there will be a new paradigm that will emerge because a lot of the coping mechanisms in the short term will become the norm in terms of how things will happen into the future. So if you look about examples of e-commerce adoption, examples of collaboration, different ways of working, and in the short term, digitization will be about how do those things actually become the normal way of doing things. And as it goes forward, I think that actually whoever is going to win the game is not going to be those that can leverage the best technologies or have massive investments in technologies. will be those that can actually configure the different technologies that exist or those that emerge into what becomes great solutions for society going forward. And I think that will be the language we'll use going forward which will be how do we make that happen as opposed to actually digitization of services that used to exist in one way and then actually being adopted through digital channels. I think the approach will be completely different. Wow, thank you for that. Funeka, did you, did you get that question earlier? 
it. Yeah, just for me, in closing, I think that um, Africa is really sitting in a really, really good space. I think we are we, the, the youth of Africa, but more than anything, the ability to leapfrog and to create and have a look at things from a new perspective is going to be a thing. It's going to be a key advantage. Uh, I think it's up to us to get our act together so that we can start to deliver on this long, long-held potential. But it does mean about us actually taking some risk and actually having a sense of self-belief in ourselves. Uh, I think there's many stories you can look at other um, of, of communities that, uh, that, that give rise to, to, to the kind of, of what I'm talking about. I think, um, yeah, with all the age, all the things that's happening in Europe, I think um, this whole thing called uh, um, uh, anti-immigration uh, sort of clamp up is going to end up being an invitation for people to come to, to Europe and other parts of the sort of so-called developed world and actually create value. Uh, but what I'm more interested in, my brother, it's about... I want to see Africa being the net creator of information and intelligence and, mm-hmm. and skills and know-how. Um, I think people talk about, you know, AWS, a big part of AWS was the story of, of Cape Town. But mm-hmm. I think for me, I think we have to make sure that we create these communities because these it's never about individual geniuses, right? These, these people who come out of and create the... The, the you know the the Bill Gates of the world don't create themselves. They come in the context of communities, and so we've got a small period of time to actually put some timely investments in building these communities where we can actually start becoming true creators of of knowledge and creators of wealth and creators of demand in the world. Wow, so, I mean, I think you're right about the, the communities. The guy that, that was part of that um, AWS, he was my next door neighbor, believe it or not, and he and he's got dreadlocks. So, oh um, my gosh, yeah, he was my next door neighbor. Um, you'd never, but thank you so much to Foneka Mojani and um, Komotso Malabi. Um, it was an amazing conversation. I know you you're really busy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. We really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, thank you, my brother. Up. And be good, eh? Yeah, I will. And warm. And warm. And warm. Cheers, <laughs> my brother. Yeah.